Hello, welcome to this very special edition of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill, and my good friend, Mr. Renfrey Dedman, who sat opposite me. Hello, mate. Hello. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank hey, you. It's good. You? Oh, mate, I am very, very good. Um, yeah. yeah, just uh, this is a special, as I said, edition of Riot Act dedicated to one of our collective favourite records of, I'd say, of all time. To be fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. You happy with and that? also one of the um, artists that we put into our Venn diagram. It Let's is, not yes, forget. Mr. Jonah Matranga yeah. of uh, One Line Drawing, Gratitude, UN Original Gratitude. Uh, Lots of things. I is another. So yeah. many bands, so many projects. Yeah. But the main one for us is Far, and the main Far album is Water and Solutions. Mm-hmm. And later on. We're going to be hearing you in conversation talking to Jonah Matranga about that classic record, yeah. War and Solutions, which I'm really, really, really glad that we got to get Jonah on the show. I was a little bit worried at first because, you know, bands don't tend to like to look back all that much. Yeah. Um, but Jonah seemed really quite happy to celebrate the fact that this record is 20 years old yeah, and well, what it means to him and like he sees it as like the springboard to the rest of his career yeah almost. well we should say by the way musicism.net mm. for all of your uh, your needs to become a better singer songwriter or record producer go to musicism.net put in the code riot in capital letters in the checkout and you'll get 25 percent off their courses, which are usually nine ninety nine, which is a pretty good price. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, good. Even cheaper than that. So that's our what? friends at Musicism. Yeah, well, twenty five percent off of nine ninety nine is oh. less than nine ninety nine. So it's either seven pound fifty or seven pound forty nine. We haven't yeah. quite come to the really, conclusion. We don't know. We don't know. We we, we are just merely a vessel for the information. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk about this record a little bit before we get Jonah on board just to give you a little bit of listening a little bit of context of how we feel about it and why we've picked this record so um Far Water and Solutions came out on the 10th of March three days before my 18th birthday 1998 Aww, that's nice what a nice birthday present for me yeah. um although I'm guessing like a lot of people I'm guessing you wouldn't have heard this record around the time it came out because not very many people did I did oh Look at Steve. I was there first. I, Hill there. I wouldn't say I was there first. Okay, but I was there fairly early because really? actually, Far opened for Deftones. That's right. In 1997, the first ever Deftones UK headline tour took place in October 1997. I went to the Astoria to see it. Yeah. And Far were the opening band. They were selling tin cans uh, with strings to you, which is a great record. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. Their and major label debut. A major label debut. Yeah. And uh, it's a brilliant record. Actually. It is a good record. Yeah. And I saw Far on that tour, um, and I was I'm insanely jealous right now. But that's cool. Yeah, I I wasn't, and I think me and a lot of my friends, because it was new metal at the time, was the thing sure, du jour. But new yeah. metal was blowing up huge at that point. That was when it was, you know, like starting to take over the world. We didn't really love Far. Right. I think we quite liked like, I remember watching them going they're pretty good mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I didn't love it I had a friend who bought tin cans mm-hmm. and when I went when I borrowed it off what we would usually do is one person would buy the album and then everyone would and then you make like, a tape yeah you get tape a tape copy, copy yeah, of it yeah, or yeah. a CDR copy the or whatever 90s. the 90s and yeah. um, and so when I listened to it I was like that's great and somebody had got a bootleg 
um, and my colleague, someone got a bootleg of their cover of Savory by Jawbox, mm, mm, mm-hmm. which is fucking brilliant. And Jonas sings on that. So it's, it's um, Deftones and Far together yeah. doing Savory, which is brilliant. And I was suddenly like... Very, very quickly. I yeah. didn't realise until, oh, not long ago that not only is it Deftones and Far, but there's a there's a break in the song where the drummer of Far gets off the drum stool and then Abe gets onto the drum yeah. stool. Um, and you can, if you actually listen to it, you, if you listen in for it, you can hear like Abe's techniques a bit different to, um, I think it's Chris, the drummer from, yeah. from Far. So yeah, I'd never knew that. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I was interested in Far, definitely. I wouldn't say I was hugely obsessive and was in love with, with them but you know uh the first time the first version of um uh be quiet and drive i ever heard was on stage at your story that night with jonah cool um singing with chino with chino yeah so we should say like deftone's relationship with far i mean the reason i got into far was after far had split up which was not long after water and solutions was released I think it was the same year, I believe. Um, Deftones used to talk about Far quite a lot in interviews around that time, sort of 2000 to 2003 kind of thing. And, you know, you listen to, if you admire a band or like a band, you if they like a band, then you go out yeah, and you check that out that Yeah, that was the band. way it used to be. Like really, yeah. really a hell of a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Far also toured later on. I think after <laughs> Water and Solutions came out, this would have been, they toured um, co-headliners with Incubus and the opening band were One Minute Silence. Was it co-headline that? It was co-headline, although I think Incubus closed most of the shows. Sure, not sure, all of sure, the shows. Sure. Uh, yeah, they played, the, they played The Underworld, which I didn't actually go to that show. Right, right. But it was right. Incubus, Far, One Minute Silence. Interesting, yeah. yeah. But so the point was, I so far didn't know much about them. Mm-hmm. I wasn't blown away, but I was intrigued enough. I then thought, yeah, I quite like this band. And then when I knew that the album was coming out, like most things at that time, I really wanted to buy it. But where to find it? in Hampshire in 1998 where to find that record (laughs) and I think this might have been part of the problem as to why this album has taken so long before uh you know years and years like years after far split up Mm. that's when the sort of the the mythology around it started to grow Mm. is because just finding it Mm. to put to purchase was a massive undertaking yeah yeah I'm trying to remember when I got my copy it must have been like 2003 2004 I'd, I'd guess but it was definitely one of those records you know um that was very difficult to get or you could only get on import for ages or blah 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 you know do you um do you remember when uh in the kind of cd shops of yore where they when they wouldn't have a metal section yeah whereas like there, there was so there's a little tiny records um store called um oh, fuck no sally's records i think it was in andover when i was at college and me and my mates were going there of a, of a day and just pour through every yeah. single CD A to Z no yeah. fucking genre like no dance yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Just, everything was just CDs are here and I started at the back for some reason and my mate was going around and he was like oh my god and he found he found Water and Solutions uh-huh. first person to get it Darren Hutchins yes lad go uh-huh. on um, he got it so he bought Water and Solutions he was the first person to get Water and Solutions and again it kind of went round the 
the, uh-huh. the town <clears throat> and I think yeah like a, like a slut <laughs> and um, went around the village <laughs> and um, and yeah and that was probably three or four months after the record came out right okay wow yeah. okay so yeah you were really on this quite quite early on pretty early on so seeing them that early you were saying that like new metal was the big thing and stuff like that um what are the big because a lot of people listening to this might not have even heard far so mm. what were the big differences between what was going on then i.e corn incubus uh deftones uh cold chamber, cold chamber. fear factory biohazard Thank machine you. head yep 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 what was the big difference between those bands and far um the they were not built on aggression and kind of solely on aggression and uh, masculinity masculinity yeah. uh you know um and that kind of that thing that Kurt Cobain had but only on certain songs Kurt Cobain could get very 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 angry could whereas do. um Jonah Matranga always struck me as someone who felt quite hurt by things as opposed to angry about things i think nirvana definitely started this thing where it was okay to have a effeminate quality in rock music or popularized it let's say maybe not started but certainly popularized it Uh uh i think jonah is one of the artists who took that effeminateness and pushed it even further Mm -hmm. um because even when you think i mean that is what you associate with as emo yes do you know what i mean And, and i think even when you look back to people mention the sort of the forebearers and the forefathers, you know, the, the sort of the godfathers of emo. When you think of <clears throat> uh, quicksand, or yep. if you think of Rites of Spring, um, when you think of Embrace, or if you think of um, Sunny Day Real Estate, when you get to that era, um, Promise Ring. Yeah, pro- like Texas is a reason. Those yeah. sort of bands. Braid, did you say Braid? Braid, yeah, it's good as well. Like those bands. Not necessarily emotional, yeah, but not necessarily fragile. Whereas I think when you get to, you know, Quicksand are a fairly angry band. Yeah, sure. Like yeah, bitter. Yeah. There's a yep. bitterness to a song like Dine Alone. Do you know what I mean? That that that, Definitely. that that is not similar to what you hear in Water Solutions. So I feel like you're quite right. You know, Jonah Matranga definitely brought in fragility and sensuality and femininity and kind of hurt you know kurt cobain did do that even jonathan davis had a little bit of that as well and even in chino somewhere although it's it's quite you don't really know exactly what it is that chino's kind of hurt about it was i think if you talk to chino and i've not spoken to chino specifically about this though but I think if you talk to Chino about that, he would say that Jonah's one of the people that he picks that up from. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, and then when you look at the kind of... So that was 1998. If you look at the kind of, I guess, the boom period towards what became emo music when you think of bands like Thursday mm-hmm. um, and Taking Back Sunday and mm-hmm. when those bands did start getting super emo, super emotional, um, it was far predate those all of those bands yeah yeah they seriously predate all of them they even predate i mean i know a lot of people consider um there to be a kind of a very well-defined cut-off point between the 
you know the, the emo becoming popular and emo being this not particularly easily definable thing before and a lot of people go well glassjaw came along and that's the thing that kind of helped to define what emo then went on to become whereas i think glassjaw i mean glassjaw were after far you know yes um, very much everything so. you ever want to know about silence came out 2000. after water and solutions yep. so it definitely o- over came. two years it was may 2000 yeah it was yeah so and then you know um they went on obviously and even they kind of struggled to to you know they were a kind of an island themselves weren't they yeah, glass jaw oh, um so i think this record is is massively ahead of its time it comes it came in a place that is massively uh it, it was so singular in terms of like i couldn't think of any other you know weird to think they would be playing with one minute silence and incubus even yeah. incubus at that point incubus were a proper sort of funk metal band yes but even when it where incubus went on stuff like morning view like a couple of albums after that even that is still not anywhere near pushed the, the emotion of it is not pushed as so far to the forefront as water and solutions pushes it's funny it. we talk about uh, me and jonah talk about incubus and far quite a lot um in this in this chat that's coming up but um yeah there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of uh there's a lot of incubus talk let's just put it like that yeah spoil anything don't spoil anything too much but um as a kind of you know as one of the great lost records of of that era i think this is it's not just the fact that it's ahead of its time it's not just the fact that it felt like such an island at the time um it's the fact that it is just just such a fucking brilliant 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 record Mm. like from beginning to end from the second Barry White comes in to the second Waiting for Sunday kind of fades out I don't really think there's there's nothing I change a single second no I don't think I would either I I would like to point out because some people might be listening to this if they've not heard it and going oh well that's all well and good that 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 started this this you know, emo thing that I might like or might not like. But because I have those bands afterwards, I'm, you know, maybe not as interested in what started it because I've heard other bands who have taken that on further and developed it and so on and so forth. What I will say about Water and Solutions, and again, we talk about it a little bit in the interview, but it's aged so well. Yeah, it has, yeah. Um, so well. I don't think it sounds like a 90s record particularly. I think it sounds pretty timeless as far as these sort of records go. Um, and it, it's, I mean, it is just great songs really, isn't it? Which is a, you know, not a particularly interesting thing to say, but that is just, and just produced in a brilliant way. Dave Sardi produced this record. Um and we go into that quite a bit. And just the sound that he gets on this album is massive. It's really big. Mm. When the band come in fully on Barry White, it starts with just Jonah and a guitar. But when they all come crashing in, it still sounds fucking massive. Yeah. Um, you know, like, it's just, it, it's, um, it's a brilliant distilla- distillation of everything that was great about Far. Um, it's funny because whilst whilst Water and Solutions is clearly Far's best record, 
Um, again, we talk about this on the interview, but um, Tin Cans with Strings to You is actually my favourite Far Record. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's That's my favourite, but I will acknowledge that Water and Solutions is a better record yeah um and that's simply because they basically got everything that was good about far and distilled it it's quite interesting because tin can with strings to you even i'll admit that there are songs that probably go on a bit too long mm. um it's a much longer record but the same amount of tracks and you know this is like 12 tracks and 42 minutes whereas yeah. tin cans is something like 12 50, tracks and 53 yeah. or something like that um and they just learned to do what they do but in the most succinct way possible. And yeah. Dave Sardi was responsible for a lot of that. He actually came <clears throat> in as a producer and told them to cut bits, end on that chorus, don't bother with that bridge, it's rubbish kind of thing. I mean, you know, I don't know if he said it's rubbish, but he was quite responsible for making it that distilled and that precise and bullseye-like, I suppose. And he's um, a man who knows how to write a fucking good riff as well. Yeah. Been in Bart Market, so yeah. I think the thing for me that was always really, really interesting about Far, and particularly, it's particularly interesting if you listen to One Line Drawing and then you listen to Revolution Smile. So Revolution Smile is Sean Lopez, uh, who's the guitar um, player guitar and Far, the kind of main guitar player. A pretty bog standard. I don't want to say new metal, but a pretty bog standard hard rock kind of modern I, hard rock band. I think that's ever so slightly harsh, but um, a harder you know edged band, definitely. Oh, what, sorry? A hard, harder edged band. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the bog standard was the bit that I thought was a little bit harsh. But well, yeah. I think, you know, they were similar to a lot of other bands yeah. that were around yeah, at the time. Fair. Yeah, that's um, fair. But here, like... Jonah, like him having to quiet down to incorporate Jonah being really, when Jonah's really quiet, mm. but then when he lets go mm. and he really lets go, like that's something that there will be people listening to this that might not have heard this record and go, uh, emo, uh, pussy, like well, mm. all that kind of stuff. Mm. I'm saying to you is, what I'm saying to you about that is, is even if you don't want to get all kind of, you know, butterfly heart fluttery and emotional some of the riffs on this record crush oh yeah, yeah and that's yeah. why they were able to go out and play with deftones and yeah. one minute silence and those sort of bands like this is not emo in its you know kind of wettest most simpering apologetic terms it's still a really really heavy record and there's stuff like um i think thriller by nerd original is a brilliant 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 record records. but it's much more of a polite record yes polite sounding well, and you know and far were the great bands exist on tension between two opposing things fighting yeah. for space yeah. and i think that's one of the things that makes war and solutions such a fucking brilliant brilliant record is you have someone who just wants to be so quiet and mm. so emotional and then you have someone else who just wants to make a racket Pretty much, yeah. Um, I have to say, I was really, really pleased that Jonah was really open about kind of the device, uh, about Far splitting up and about why that happened and all that kind of thing. And I think it's interesting that you bring up Revolution Smile and One Line Drawing because effectively those are the two different directions that they were pulling in. Mm. And that's, you know... I don't want to go as far as to say that, you know, Jonah wanted to, to, to 
make water and solutions sound like one line drawing and sean wanted to make it sound like revolution smile because i don't know that but that is the two separate elements that you get and if you put them together you get something really quite combustible and special mm-hmm. and separated i I'm, I'm a big fan of one line drawing and a lot of the stuff that joan has done since yeah i think revolution smile is a decent record but it's not the special combustible thing that's that water and solutions has quite um so um but yeah it's it's that there's definitely in terms of tension in bands and so on and so forth it's something that we definitely touch on quite a lot Mm. so um yeah so there you go i think um we will move over to having you talking about jonah um I'm interested uh, to hear what, what he has to say about this record because to me, this is some records are, uh, are kind of released at the wrong time but perfectly released at the right time as well. Mm-hmm. And I think this album is ahead of its time. It still, like you say, stands up brilliantly, unbelievably brilliantly today because the songs are so fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's become a cult record because what it was and what it kind of helped create. Um, went on to become this absolutely massive thing. Like when you think of the word emo, I think far are such a, a massive part of the the evolution of what that became. Karan called Jonah around this time the king of emo. Yeah, and and I think they played such a massive part in um, in progressing emo onto something else. Yes, I agree. but without people really knowing. And also because of the, the you know Dave Sardi's production and because of the the ferocity and the anger in some of this, not the anger particularly. Well, yeah, the anger from Sean Lopez. I think Sean Lopez wants to rock out mm-hmm. and play heavy guitar parts. Um, I think it was enough to make people who were into Deftones or Incubus or some of the more, or even Korn or some of the more sensitive bands, mm-hmm. some of the more intelligently minded bands of, of in metal at that time to actually open their palette up a little bit wider to something that, uh, that sounds different and is, is new and was, um, just a bit different yeah uh so a very 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 important record and i'm gonna throw over now not to you renfrey but to joe well yeah we go so so just to just to clarify here so we're going to fade up into this interview because i press record uh and there's usually a little bit of whiffle we do a little bit of whiffle before we chat and then edit that out because people don't want to hear that but jonah just started talking and it was all really interesting so i'm keeping all of that in because it's interesting so if this just suddenly comes in we'll fade it in and we'll make it sound really super nice i say yeah. we we won't the people behind the scenes <laughs> the real talent will so anyway um that was just a little bit of context for them to from the two of us about this record uh here's renfrey talking to jonah matranga about his classic composition war and solutions incredibly difficult writing a book was um, yeah, yeah, yeah and i mean i i i very nearly quit towards towards the Ooh. not the end of the book per se but i had a ton of content on i mean i had the whole book but i also had a lot more and it was just spiraling out of control and i just uh, i mean i don't know if you about know this thing about the creative process or have thought about this way before but i always think of it as like the first 10 percent of an idea is so exciting and everything feels wonderful yep and then 10 to like 85 percent is this sort of long slow descent into the valley of self-worthlessness um and just just self-hatred and just and so with a song or with an album it's you know there's the valley but 
it takes a shorter amount of time. Yeah. Uh, just the scale cool. of the yeah. book. Yeah. The valley was so long for me. And yeah. I was just down there just like, oh my. And I was lost in all of this stuff. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I came pretty close to just giving up the ghost. But I'm glad you didn't. I'm, I'm really I, happy I didn't either. I'm well aware, yeah. you know, like you're not a proper writer until you've written a book. Uh, and it's, I, I right. have yet to get There's there. There's no way you know, around so. that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm aware yeah. that I'm sort of doing Well, and I don't know. I think any sort of long form prose can, can kind of get you closer to that. I think even if I'd just been trying to do not just, you know, but I hear about people doing their dissertation or something like 60 page thing, anything that gets that stretchy. I think that's when one does become like a writer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I had never done anything like that. I had done a little bit of short stories. I'd done lots of songs. I'd mm-hmm. done a few essays in my life, but nothing even close to the scale of that. So anyway, I'm really glad you like it. It, yeah. it means a lot to me. It was almost even more than songs. I just really didn't want to write a shit book. I didn't want to be a musician <laughs> writing a book. I really didn't. Like I just, so I'm happy that it, I, and I do, I, I think it holds up as a book too. I actually yeah, recently I flipped through it at the beginning of the tour. I hadn't really, I've been reading passages of it uh, at the shows and stuff because, well, because it talks about my whole life. And so I read about Water and Solution songs and um, it really, uh, it was fun to flip through it one night to sort of look for different passages and go, you know, like I'd step back from for a minute. I was like, yeah. this is a cool book. Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. tells a story. Yeah. Um, so anyway, cool. This is all really interesting. So you know what, Jonah, I'm going to keep all of this in. Fuck it, I can do what I like. Oh, and by the way, you can curse. If that's okay with you. Oh, I curse. I am so happy to curse. You can curse as much as you like. It's fine. So, um, yeah. I sometimes get soft calls just because when I sometimes curse a ton and then I go, am I cursing too much? (laughs) Oh, the more cursing you do. But I definitely don't censor myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you join me. Uh, in a kitchenette, I suppose. Would you describe yeah. this as a kitchen? Uh, it's yeah. It's, it's a, a weird a mixture of sort of studio and kitchen because there's shitloads of lights all over the place, plus lots of cooking appliances and so on and so forth. Yeah, cool. yeah. It's a, to me, it's a very European, uh, sort of German, British, um, boxy kitchen. Um, <laughs> it's a very. It's a, you would not find this design in the states. No, no, you would absolutely not. Find this not. Design in the states, it just is a different sensibility. I don't quite understand. I guess the ceilings are higher. Yeah, um, it's somehow both kind of fancier and cooler, and a little bit more ratty than most things in the states. Yes, yeah, we uh, have a kind of older, quainter kind of style yeah. of doing things. I think yeah, yeah. than than America. You know what the worst is that I'm just gonna say the the stubbornness of keeping two separate taps. Can is there a logistical reason that I don't understand um, about that? No, that I, that is I very hate much that so much. That seems to be a British thing. It What's just, your beef with the taps? Well, it just. It's so easy to have one. Yeah. And then you have a knob that you make warm water. I know. Like here, it's fucking scalding or <laughs> frigid. It's, there's no there's no in between. <laughs> there's just, I just think that's, it's, and it just, we have the technology for a long time we now. Could. Yeah, Lots we could of other things are modern here, but there's this stubborn refusal to have one tap. I think it would, I'm no plumber. No, but I think it would require a ridiculous amount of re not rewiring, re-water working. <laughs> but I'm just saying, even on well. top, someone mm. could build the fixture whereby, even if it were two knobs, let's say we had two knobs, yeah. like a bath. Yes. You've still got one nozzle for the water to That's come true. out. That's true. I'm feeling a concept record coming on about this. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's a metaphor. Um, okay. Let me introduce you because I've not right, introduced yeah, yeah, this American yeah, voice are. speaking, yes. talking this and giving us exclusive... Bitching about taps. <laughs> bitching about taps is the... Um, 
Uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you this. You have been referred in the UK in, in the past as the emo king. It, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, Mr. it's true. Yeah, Mr. It's true. Jonah Matranga. I, I wish to note that uh, that I was referred to that at a time in, I believe, 1996 or 7. Yeah, that And either Krang right. or Roxanne or something like that. Yeah. One of those scene report things. So I was referred to it during a time when pretty literally no one knew what the term emo meant no it didn't yeah, so all of yeah. my friends were saying oh it's cool that you're in this magazine but what is emo yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. well that's so, the thing i yeah. suppose i would like to think that i i you know whatever i, I was the ostensible king or or, or you know or, or sort of early adopter of or whatever um was something different than what the caricatures become. What it became, yeah. yeah. I think there's a very different... I wasn't going to start with this, but you've Why sort not? of gone in there. there. So are. I think there's a very different... Uh, there's a huge difference between the sort of mid to late 90s, I'm talking San Diego Real Estate, yeah. Mineral, Promise Ring, yeah. Jets to Brazil maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah. far, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a very different streak to that sort of emo than there was when it became world-conquering. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, to 2000s. me, pretty much when the eyeliner went on, is, is yes. something shifted. When the, when the flat irons came out and the eyeliner went on, it, it became a different deal. Um, and I don't wish to, you know, mess with anyone, mm-hmm. but it was there was a, definitely a time when it was there was a lot of theater. There was a lot of emotion in it, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But it was first of all about as much it was about as much about going up as it is about going down it was about being very cheery and peppy and the second next second being super morose it was really about being all over the place and uh, a friend of mine actually and I were just working on a strange little like sort of um, you know forebears of of emo list that was including things like Prince and U2 and Sinead O'Connor and sort of artists that were I think messing with that way before it it got you know uh, even to you know to I think it's frankly what a lot of I think a lot of kids at the time that liked hard rock but didn't want to do the macho bullshit that liked being really happy and trying to have lots of expressiveness in their music um, but didn't like all of the bells and whistles of pop that were going on I Mm. think that's kind of what but I mean emo as far as I'm concerned early emo loved a chorus we loved a melody exactly absolutely And, and so it was a real to me it was a real embracing of a lot of relatively i think relatively expansive arena e musics mm. um but done on purpose in a really fourth wall down kind mm. of way is it unusual though that again still not starting on my questions but this is just an interesting thread yeah, here we are i'm making a bit of an assumption here so do correct me if i'm wrong but mm. is it a weird thing that you have um uh directly inspired I'm assuming a bunch of music that you're maybe not that into. I don't know. If yeah, that's I mean, a fair thing to, to say. and again, I don't, I don't. It's 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 not to be diplomatic, but I don't really like being. You know, other people are doing their own thing, and yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's. And what I will say is that just as I think that Led Zeppelin is not responsible for White Snake, I'm not responsible for Fallout Boy. You I, didn't I, have to name no. one. And it's fine. It's fine. I'm sure they're really sweet dudes. But that's a band that, you know, I think that uh, that Sugar We're Going Down tune is, is pretty bulletproof. So I'm not going to, you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a tune. Yeah. And I, I will never yeah. deny that a tune Some is a tune. Some of their early stuff is actually quite yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and it just it just was the shtick of it. Um, for me, it was just a, it was just a real bummer to see, again, this kind of really authentically communal, like we wanted to hang out and just sort of take down all the macho rock shit or at least you know the people i was playing with and and hanging around with and so when i started to see publicists pitching bands as like 
oh, they're so personable and they hang mm-hmm. out after the show. For mm-hmm. me, it's like, yeah, that's just what you do. Well, and now, of course, it's morphed into meet and greets and mm-hmm. this whole. To me, the, the commodification of sincerity has been a really tough thing to witness over the over the decades. It's yeah. been a really sad thing for me. I think that it sounds strange to say, but I think the I think suicide girls and paid meet and greets were the two most depressing things I saw enter punk rock over the last 30 years. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and of course, when I say punk rock, I'm, I'm talking about the most broad take on punk, which, which to me is like rock and roll music without the scale. Yeah. Yeah. Rock and roll is kind of like down to, we're just, we're hanging out. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we we were just talking beforehand about uh, potentially doing a follow up interview next year uh, in a broader yeah. to- like yeah. just talking now. We're definitely we are definitely going to do that because we could go off onto all, all sorts of yeah. Tangents. We're off to the races but already. Really, I mean, you did start with Emo King. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> really, we're here yeah. to talk about water solutions. Do it. Well, and it's a good place to start because that was the band I was in when this exactly. label said, and and we were, and that's another thing too. We were. I have a, I have a fun public guess for you. How many copies do you think Water and Solutions sold? Or do you know? Have you? Have I you? don't okay. know. So what do you think? So I know Tin Cans started off at around 10,000 uh, to begin with, because I read that in oh, your book. Yeah, so you've I read got that it, in you your book. Yeah, so yeah. just to, just to yeah, point yeah, this out, yeah, Jonah's written enough. a fantastic book called um, Alone, Alone Rewinding. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's really amazing. It's been an amazing uh, way for me to research this interview, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, Mm. Water and Solutions, I'm going to say, well, uh, uh, up till now. Yeah. 50,000. Okay, well, you, you've definitely, yeah, you're you're definitely at least in scale. Okay, so you're you're just past. Okay, got it. I was just, um, I was looking in the book to see <laughs> checking, where he was in my life. Got, yeah. Um, <laughs> most people think that it sold way, way, way more yeah, copies than yeah. than it did, basically. Yeah. Long story short, we were just total misfits. We really, we never played, I would, you know, the biggest shows we ever played were, I suppose, in Sacramento and, I guess, Los Angeles or something. Uh-huh. And those were still at the very, very top end, several hundred. I think, I think the biggest show, attendance-wise, we ever headlined was in London, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, it was when we did the A Night We Live tour. We played the London Ulu. Uh, ULU, yes. Yeah. That's about uh, 800 Exactly. Cap, I would say. And, and I think that was the I biggest was that show. show. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, so that was about the biggest show we ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, but that as far was, as headlined. That, that was reformed. That, that was uh, yeah, and, 2010 kind of time. Right. I mean, and, and so at the time, it was, you know, the Cattle Club where we played mostly in Sacramento packed out as 500 mm-hmm. maybe did that many maybe in the troubadour or something down in los angeles i can't recall anything on the east coast we we played some really packed rooms but they were just a little smaller rooms mm-hmm. and we never made the jump to theaters we never made the jump to anything we did some tours with larger bands you but did, yep we'll uh, but, but none of them were but even when we were touring with incubus mm-hmm. i mean when i to be fair like when i left far and kind of one of the things that really broke up the band which i guess you've just read about mm-hmm. as well is we were offered a tour with incubus and system of a down system of a down chapter, yeah. yeah so system of a down was was they were I mean, it was a they didn't know whether we were going to open or they were so, so they weren't this anything was yet 1998 so system would have yeah. just released their debut or right about yeah. and it was very debut. pre that big hit they had the <laughs> chops that we hit um and actually yeah, toxicity wasn't even their debut so yeah they it were was even, three years before Chopsuit. yeah exactly yeah, yeah so they're well before that yeah. and even incubus hadn't 
gotten into their Scott Lit kind of big choruses period. They were on Make Yourself, um, weren't they? Right. Um, which they're still sort of funk rocky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the useless information that I retain. And I, and I don't know this to be true, but I... And I, I, I hope it... I hope it's clear that I say there's no trace of, of sort of ego, but I really like doing the, the anthropology of this stuff. I think that we definitely affected the arc of both Deftones and Incubus. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both making much more sort of funk, rocky, aggressive records. Absolutely. And maybe it was just the times or whatever, but especially Incubus went um, from, I believe it was Make Yourself to Morning View. Is that That's true? That's right, yeah. Right, and that was such a massive leap stylistically. And, yep. and Wish You Were Here... Uh, is a pretty tonally and 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 feel wise it, it 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 could it could be sort of close to us. I've never considered that, but now that you say it, yes, I can see that. And I mean, they did have Scott Litt, this amazing producer, yeah. who I think, well, not I think, I know, was encouraging them to write bigger choruses. And I right. think it's just who they were as a band. They were just yeah. a band that was really destined to grow, and and they wrote some just ridiculous tunes. So I want to be really careful to say I'm, yeah. I don't feel like. Certainly, they didn't rip us off, and not even did we influence them in some deep way. But it's all just to say that we did not fit back then. Mm, yes, when we absolutely. were opening for Incubus and Deftones and Three Eleven and Corn, um, to say nothing of Monster Magnet and Life of Agony and these other bands and Sepultura, we just we we were total misfits. Yeah, um, yeah. and and what we were that certainly in that in that scene there's a lot of people i think that would poo-poo the idea that we were even emo because um well yeah uh, um you know we there's a thing i talk about in the book where we went through uh orlando florida with monster magnet and everyone was you know calling me the f word and like and and just being really sort of cruel to us because we were we were too soft and sensitive especially in between songs i was just not a tough guy Mm. And then we went through the same exact venue in the same exact town, except playing with Promise Ring and Jets to Brazil, and people were making fun of us for being too heavy. Yeah. So, so we were just we didn't we didn't. I mean, and there's no mention of Far or or I or anything, and nothing feels good in the sort of the emo tome sort of history book. So I think a lot of self-proclaimed like sort of emo scholars don't even consider us that. Mm. So it's and that's what was so neat about who we were. I just think it happened to be a word that we vaguely. Mm-hmm. fit into but really no one know what to do with us yeah and, I, I think and, at that you know, time that totally makes sense and yeah. and you're an you're an i've seen you a bunch of times over the years and you're an enormously emotive and heart on sleeve front man and person yeah. i think you are just who you are on stage pretty much something i've always kind of admired in front men i don't really like I'm not massively into posturing and stuff yeah, yeah. on the stage it's not really my bag yeah, for me it's been a bit of a challenge over the years especially and far really taught me this to I think a lot about the artists that I love, mm. um, whether it's Robert Plant or Bono or, you know, I, I don't I don't tend to like heavy, like super loud rock that much. Mm. But OK, let's say Craig from Shudder to Think, mm-hmm. um, much more theatrical, much mm-hmm. more just sort of big, expansive presentation. And I it's been a real challenge, not challenges in uh, I'm an obstacle, but I've challenged myself to to try and be a bit bigger sometimes and a bit sort of uh, uh, more theatrical yeah a little bit I mean you know I've never I've never felt comfortable too much doing it um, but I certainly love it so it's one of those deals where I don't it's certainly not me trying to be all cool it's actually just I think I just have a little bit of fear around it or it's it's not I guess I just think it's not the noise that comes out of me Mm. proverbially I mean it's, it's literally not the noise that comes out of me when it comes to certain types of singing but it's not the way 
I guess I am. Mm. Um, and I've always tried to just honor that. I've always tried to not limit myself. And if mm. I want to be bigger and I want to try and go for some bigger, more sort of flamboyant uh, presentation, then great, do that. Don't be scared to do that, but also don't force myself to do it so yeah. that I can certainly not because I make more loot or whatever, have more people like me. But at the time, I mean, yeah, I knew for a fact that even if just in between songs, I had been a different person then, a little tougher, a little bit more let's party, a little bit. Mm. Um, it just it just would have gone down so much better. And I just, whether it was insecurity or what, I just wasn't where those other singers were at. Mm-hmm. Um, so far itself, we were already weird musically, but my in between song presentation mm. was really the the, you know, the nail in the coffin or the icing on the cake, depending on whether you liked it or not. <laughs> well, I, the, you did tour with some really heavy bands, as yeah, you have yeah, mentioned. Yeah, um, yeah. Sepultura, mm-hmm. um, Deftones, uh, yeah. Life of Agony, Monster Magnet. Mm-hmm. Um, there must have been times when, well, I know their work as I've read your book, but there are times when audiences were quite uh, hostile. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it uh, on, on, yeah, on the Sepultura tour, I literally gave myself a mohawk. I mean, speaking of presentation, I was I was like, okay, at least if I could present myself in a sort of a weird enough way or something like that, maybe they won't beat the shit out of me. And mm-hmm. all I would do in between songs is thank Sepultura. I mean, it was that was sincere, but I would just thank Sepultura to sort of make the association mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. they're the reasons we're here, mm-hmm. so please don't kill us. Um, <laughs> did it work? I did, I did. I've okay. never, I've never been, I've never been physically assaulted, thank goodness, <laughs> knock, knock wood. Knock wood, yeah. Um, no, a lot of people, yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, there were some, there were some shows where, the Monster Magnet Tour, I would say, was the, the depths of, of just an audience just truly, truly hating us. Um, so they were on Power Trip at the time, yeah. and they had a big hit with Space, Space Lord. Lord. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yep. and they were so sweet and wonderful. Yep, and um, it was a just a an utter mismatch. I mean, yes, Sony was really trying. I mean, yeah, I, I get. I'm certainly not mad at them. I think they're wonderful. Like truly, everyone was so great to us, and especially when we weren't selling records, they still stuck with us, and it was wonderful. And I do kind of wish they had trusted me and my instincts a bit because I just I wanted to I wanted to be the heavy band on the Billmore. Mm. We just we were always they're putting us out. Even we were supposed to do a with Prong, which kind of could have been more interesting. But even Prong and those like Life of Agony, in in a lot of ways, had a kind of a a lot of people told me that it would work out. But even they had a much more just kind of gothy brooding thing mm, i mm. was i was happy as much as i was sad up there and again especially in between tunes i really wanted to have a conversation and talk about the songs about being uplifting and mm. there just weren't a lot of bands talking about uplifting back in the day well it just wasn't height of new metal wasn't yeah, it yeah it just so, wasn't it wasn't a thing yeah um and then yeah to say nothing of, of the more you know the the i would say that sort of second third whatever waves of new metal of, of you know the the olympics gets in the coal chambers and the um, that stuff was really cartoony and really mm. over the top, and mm. and um, and it just it just was not what we did, and and even more particularly what I did. And I really, mm. again, that's not to sound cool. It's just, in fact, I've I've actually apologized to Sean over the years because he just kind of wanted to. He he liked me for me. He loved mm. me for me, but he also. He knew, like I did, that it would just would have taken a little bit of ironing out of my persona. Just, mm. to, just talk a little mm. less, mm. be a little mm. bit less schmaltzy, you know. Just 
This and, is uh, Sean Lopez. Oh, sorry, the yeah, Sean the guitar okay. from Far, yeah. And, um, and I think I can't imagine the other guys. You know, they didn't talk as much and or mm. fight as much with me openly mm. as Sean. But I I wasn't doing it to to mess us up. I mm. was really just trying to figure out a way that felt okay for me to to make music and to yeah. be out there singing it. Um, anyway, I, I just it, so it it's just a disclaimer to say I'm not trying to say that I'm so innovative or whatever. I was just trying to figure out how to be who I was in this scene and. Yeah, I think you could. Well, there's an argument to be said that you were being innovative by being yourself in a time when a well, lot of people weren't. Well, but that's weren't. the thing about but, about no, and and I mean it. Well, <laughs> you know, innovative is one of those is one of those words. Like, I I really really appreciate it when someone says it to me, and I I guess all I can say is that it is true of a lot of the artists that I love. Um, I do love some artists that are just, you know, like U2 or Prince or Zeppelin or Neil Young or Tom Petty or Sinead or um, any, you know, that really, really scaled the heights of mm. music. Mm. Um, I mean, my two favorite records the last few years are, you know, Beyonce and Rihanna. So it's not yeah. it's not as if I'm afraid of pop music. I yeah, adore no, pop no, music. No, no. It's nothing like that. It's it's just that I uh, I never I never found that gear and i've always had this strange mix of wanting to write the big chorus and wanting to connect with the world if i mean if i could do exactly what i did and then a million people showed up that would be wonderful Mm, for me mm. i've just never um i think part of it like being a father while i was trying to be in far and be on tour with this rock band and make it it because i missed home so much when i was gone my the way i tried to make the tours be worth it was to not cut corners in terms of of who i wanted to be um i just couldn't do it because Mm. anytime i even flirted with it i just ended up feeling kind of empty um Mm. even if more people seemed the liked the show or something i just i just felt kind of sad and so I, i kind of wish i could have embraced a more sort of workmanlike approach to it of um you know this is for the people in the room and um, I'm all about a collective thing, but anytime, I guess I think anytime an artist really starts thinking about anyone else, as far as connecting with the audience, it's, it becomes craft then. Yeah. And that's not bad. Some of my favorite music in the world is absolutely craft and there is artistry within that, but there's some sort of layer that gets going. Um, I don't know. Anyway, it's just all to say that I, uh, I do a lot of it's all to say because I ramble and ramble and ramble. Um, this is one of the easiest interviews I've ever done. Oh, good. Well, yeah. I, you know, in fact, I'm going to, yeah, whatever thread I was on, we'll probably wind back to it. But it was just, uh, as far as like, you know, innovators and all that, what I do know is that a lot of the artists that I love that no one else knows about are, and a lot of art, you know, people can sort of, you know, it's the sort of the Van Gogh thing or whatever. Nick Drake. Mm-hmm. Nick Drake was not famous no, or anything when he, was, when he was alive, like not Absolutely even not. close. And there's a lot of artists like that. And if I'm anywhere in that sentence, then then I have lived an incredibly, incredibly happy life. I I, I don't trouble myself with that too much because it's a it's a level of narcissism that is in, <laughs> you know intoxicating and dangerous. Um, but it is a if I step back and try and be sort of academic about it, that mm. is a common thread. Mm. Um, mm. I think a lot of artists that I love sort of pretty regularly shoot themselves in the foot is what it looks like from the outside. Mm. But I think 
it, I don't I don't know a lot of them, um, but I think of Paul Westerberg. I think of Black Francis. I, I think of Sinead, actually. Um, they're... I think from the outside, it looks like they're a bit self-destructive and maybe they are and maybe I am. Mm, mm. Um, and also what I see and what I fell in love with um, is an artist just trying to chase something, mm. trying to figure out actually what is reasonably called art, which again, mm. I do think begins with breathing into really not giving a fuck about what everyone thinks, Quiet. which is easy yeah. to put on a bumper sticker and real difficult to do yeah. when you're trying yeah. to make a living doing it. When, when we all love affection and admiration and validation so much. And I do too. But when you have crowds screaming, you know, you're a, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, gay yeah, slur yeah, or yeah, whatever. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, it's, it's exactly, I would, I would love for those rooms to have loved me. Of course it would be great. And, um, yeah, it can be really painful. Um, yeah. Let's set the scene a little bit in yeah. terms of, um, I mean, we've done quite a lot of scene setting in a sense, but uh, Warren Solutions, you were already on a uh, major label record with Tin Cans with Strings Sure, to it's you. true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, and there were a lot of bands at this time, let's call it the Nirvana effect. I'm yeah. sure you're aware oh, of what I'm talking very, about. Yep. Nirvana became fucking huge. And um, then, you know, tons of... Uh, aggressive rock acts let's say started getting signed by majors here true and even more so what I, yes aggressive rock and people were looking for the new rock and roll yeah. i suppose yeah but more than that because no one saw nirvana coming mm. and because it was this kind of like shaggy like very unformulaic compared to what was going on in rock and roll at the time thing you had a lot of people signing a lot of really, really, really weird bands for a ton of money. It was also the height of the music industry bubble. Yes. Because, you know, CDs or everything, every classic album ever was being remastered and reboxed yep. sets. And yep. So there was this money upon money upon money. The internet hadn't arrived yet, yep. you know, to change all that. Um, so there was just a shit ton of money floating yeah. around and no one really knew it was going to be popular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of bands, very, very including us, mm. were given a shot and given a serious shot mm. in real recording studios with real money and real tour support that absolutely would not have happened if it hadn't been for, for Nirvana breaking yeah. in the weird way that they did. I've spoken to a few people about this. I've spoken to Walter from yeah, Quicksand sure, sure. about it and stuff like that. And it's a really interesting, uh, it's an amazing time in, in uh, music history because you've got all these quite, you know, in some cases, esoteric bands having money thrown at them it's awesome that's yeah. why you got a lot of wicked records from that time but yeah, absolutely it took far a little bit longer than the contemporaries though didn't it because I, even in the book i remember you sort of writing about uh well so if the explosion happened in you know 91 92 yeah you know yeah. basically um then yeah we were yeah we were I, I think a lot of that's being from sacramento honestly um we were in this yeah. weird little hamlet yeah uh, we were not in a big city um we were big in that scene um and you know deftones were the first out of the gate i mean really cake in some ways was the first out of the gate mm. um and you know believe it or not we would all play together basically i mean mm. sacramento was that kind of scene mm. it really was it was too small to really have um too many really disparate factions you mm. know um there were the Yamos, which became chick 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 later um there was cake there's deftones there was, you know and there was a lot of stuff happening that was really, really different stylistically. So point being though, that in, in this context that we, it took, I think a while for anyone to kind of get to us because mm. we were not only in a smaller scene, but we were definitely the, the least obvious 
band in some ways in that scene. Mm. We were still finding our... Also, to be, I just want to be totally real. I just don't think we were really very good until... <laughs> um, I think there was a four-song cassette we made. Uh, we made listening... Well, we made a cassette first called Sweater River, Little No Lies, which is just horrific. Right. Um, just horrible. And then we made Listening Game, yeah. which... I think the band started playing a little bit better and we kind of got it together a little bit, but I, I just, I just hate my fucking vocal tone on that record. I yep. just feel so self-conscious. I didn't, I, I had so much floating around in my head and I knew I didn't want to be a sort of a cookie monster rock singer. It's a very interesting record. I'll, I'll say just, that. It's just terrible. <laughs> it's just, we can say terrible. I, 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 no, no. I think but, terrible's harsh, but it's interesting. No, it, yeah. it, fair enough. Fair enough. It, and on the, on the, sort of the positive side of it I think it's a really ambitious idealistic record mm. I, I think it's really uh, it's a sweet record it's a quaint record if I can get out of just hating myself when I listen <laughs> to it I go okay and there are moments mm. where I think at that time I, I, I don't think I really knew how to sing loud mostly I could I, my falsetto was pretty nice on that record and yeah. the softer stuff is okay yeah. but I didn't know how to find my scream I didn't know how to really let go and I just think that's very much who I was in life back then I was really good at being tender and sensitive that was a comfortable gear for me but anything more sort of uh you know powerful or you know to be very gendery like very you know manly mm -hmm. it, was, it was not i was a very skinny little kid i just um i didn't see anyone fronting rock bands that made any sense to me i suppose except eddie vetter um yep. and even he had you know this obviously it's in hindsight we can all see this incredibly affected vocal style mm. and i knew i didn't want to cop his shit too bad but it was sort of like i was listening to you know eddie vetter mike patton a lot of women ricky lee jones sinead o'connor um so you can chrissy hind was a big deal to me bono was a big deal to me this was sort of the palette that i was going for and i just didn't know what to do with it on listening to him so anyway long story short it's a weird record then we made quick we stripped yep. everything back and we started touring with it some hardcore bands started touring with strife and snapcase seven seconds took us out on a little yep. tour yep. we started touring with some bands kind of and getting out of sacto and and getting out of this sort of local hero thing and i um, pj harvey was a really big deal to me and especially she dry really in some ways begat quick when I right, heard, that drives um, her debut album. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I forget where along the line Rid of Me came out during that, but Dry and Rid of Me... Uh, Rid of Me was 93. 93, exactly. So yeah, right before. In fact, when we were recording quick. Um, so those two records for me, certainly her as a human and production-wise, really uh, made a mark on me and made me want to take all of the mm. gloss away and just see what we had as a band very naked raw recording yeah i, I mean say, uncomfortable me. yeah like steve albini was... produced rid of me yeah, i yeah. believe can't remember who produced i can't remember who did dry yeah but yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a very to me dry was a very a very british recording it was yeah, just very yeah. great record pristine that's oh, just yeah unbelievable yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then Rid of Me was it's, it's, a, it's a bit painful. It's a bit you know like in utero is at times. It's a bit yeah. Albini. Yeah. It's a bit like oh yeah yeah yeah. But it also has these moments that are just ridiculous. Um, so I was really interested in that, and so Quick was a cool transitory thing, and that's a pretty uncomfortable list in a lot of ways too. But it's interesting. But yeah, we it's all leading up to this little four song cassette we made. I literally don't remember where how we recorded it. I don't remember anything about the recording of it. I just 
when I listen to that, that's when I hear what eventually became us. And okay. in fact, I think Tin Cans wasn't a step back per se, but I think we got a little bit we were so self-conscious and we're very insular at that point and really discovering how we didn't fit in anywhere. Mm. And we had a great producer in Bradwood mm -hmm. that we just weren't ready, who we just weren't ready to listen to, honestly. Mm. I don't know All what right. record we would have made if we had listened to him. Mm. Um, but we were so, I think we were so busy fighting with ourselves that there just wasn't room for another voice. Mm. And we weren't ready to let anyone else in. I think especially because it was a major label thing. And back then... There was this thing about major labels and mm, mm. Uh, selling out, blah blah. Yeah, blah. and so tin cans, a lot, a record, a lot of people really, really adore. I have to say, uh, do you know what I appreciate? I uh, put my objective head on. Mm. I believe Water and Solutions is the best far record, mm -hmm. but I think Tin Cans is my favorite far cool. record. That's actually <laughs> I, I do a lot of best favorite dichotomy yeah, stuff yeah, 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 yeah. with people when they're sort of doing that. You know, best records of all time. I just. I can't be bothered with a lot of those yeah, lists. Yeah, if they yeah, were yeah, my favorite records yeah, of all time, yeah, 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 fine, yeah. if that's really true for you. But yeah, so for me, my equivalent of that is, I would say Joshua Tree is, academically speaking, the best the U2 best. record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Unforgettable Fire is my record. Ah, so it's, it's, that's, my co-host would probably say the same thing. Yeah, but yeah that's interesting. So, yeah. so I get it. And for me, did you find Tin Cans first? No, Water and Solutions really? first. Really? So it's, yeah. usually it's the, the people that got turned down to Tin Cans first. Mm ended up sticking with that one so that's interesting i here. think it's something i think it's job's eyes i just nah. i just fucking love that tune i just mm. love the darkness and the atmosphere i love i think cut out is just so underrated <laughs> but we're not talking about tinkers. no no that's true uh, <laughs> well, 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 hold on. let's stay there for a second okay. because you're actually there's there's you're gonna hear some demos really soon that you're gonna fucking love okay i discovered i don't do you even know about this whole outtakes project i'm doing no oh my god for the 20th anniversary of water and solutions i between the book and this anniversary i've, I've um i'm not a nostalgic person by nature uh -huh. but be, just all of this sort of waiting in my past and trying to especially with the book trying to write it in a way that was that is real i uh i was digging around my garage and and all the little crawl spaces and I found all these DAT tapes um, that I couldn't even play for years. I could, didn't have a working uh, DAT player. Right, okay. Of these demos that are all basically just before Tin Cans and then through the Tin Cans period and the Water and Solutions demos. And they're just these, all these sort of missing link recordings. So right. you're going to hear... Well, Cutout is pretty similar, but there's a take on of Cutout that some... Again, I don't remember where we recorded it or why... But it's it burns. It's really ah, really fun. Okay. There's um there's a lot of tin can stuff, but in a super raw way. And then there's um yeah, and there's a version of Job's Eyes that's uh that's not entirely different, but it's got some really different sections. That Interesting. I'm, yeah, yeah. Oh great! Yeah, I can't so, wait to hear that. Um yeah, so it's it's about fifty songs um that Brim. basically no one has ever heard. Cool. Um yeah, some 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 actual songs that. No one has heard period, and then a lot of demos that are very, very different from what ended up on the record. And okay, um, just, when are you hoping to get that out? It's um, well, it, I kickstarted it a while uh -huh. back. Okay, um, it's I literally go home from this tour, and am awaiting the. It's going to be um, a vinyl uh, of my sort of favorite of the outtakes, and I included side A of the vinyl is um, all of the songs like the actual songs that no one has ever heard before right, okay. never performed them never anything um, and then but then there's going to be a cute little USB drive 
right. with uh, with about fifty tunes on there. Right. That's gonna be neat. And yeah, I made I'm making a little kind of zine thing with with my reflections on that stuff. I I'm going for it. Great. I basically, this year I just and we're gonna circling back to water and solutions now, everybody. Uh, <laughs> this this year has been all about figuring out what the hell happened during that time in my life um, and really wanting to celebrate this record. Because for me, Water and Solutions, what it really was was a culmination of a lot of searching. And that's the first record that I think we really found our collective voice. I think it's just right in the middle and we broke up soon after, so it's not in the middle that way. Yeah. But we hit what I think was probably the zenith of really working together effectively. Yes. and we happen to have just a fantastic producer at the right time in Sardi yes. who really, um, again, I think Brad wanted to get us into more direction that, that Brad did, which is a, a slightly less bombastic and more personal kind of poppy thing. And uh, me being more, I mean, I, I wanted to work with Brad because of his work with Liz Fair. Okay. And so, and we all loved Sunny Day. And uh, and Sean loved Ruka Saul and Brad had done all that stuff. So, so he was great, and he just we weren't ready to go on that adventure with him. Um, I don't know what it was, but mm. anyway, it, I I think I'm always careful to say that because I love work. Brad changed my life mm. truly, truly, mm. and working with him was wonderful. And I don't think we made the best record we could with him. Mm. Mm. I think Tin Can's a kind of a spotty record where Water Solutions has a real palette. That's consistent. Yes, I think I, Tin Cans I, I, has I some has some that. real bright spots, but they're really weirdly different bright spots. I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Love American Style and Job's Eyes are probably the two yeah. twin towers of the fully realized things on Tin Cans. Water and Solutions is a more cohesive record. It I is. would say, despite yeah. me preferring Tin Cans. No. Yep. And, you know, yep. I mean, it's and great. I think yeah. I learned to sing on Water and Solutions a bit more. I learned to step back. Yeah. Brad taught me to stick to a melody, and Sardi taught me a little bit more about. I th- well, no, he, I don't know if, whether he taught me or not. He was great with me, but I think I was just finally ready to be myself on a record with Water mm. and Solutions. I just I was finally ready to sing a bit softer, um, and in a lot of ways, that was probably wearing Sean down a little bit. Finally, mm. where he was mm. like, "Okay, fine, let's <laughs> sing some pop songs." Well, you know. okay, so let's talk about how you found yeah. uh, Dave Sardi. So Dave Sardi used to be in a band called Bark Market, yep. who are a phenomenal band, another yeah, band that ridiculous. we'd like to talk about at some point. And you heard, um, was it El Ron, their last record? Yeah, well, so we to recreate that sound. We were into Gimmick, which is the record uh-huh. I believe before El Ron. Um, which is a bit more Albanian, a bit more sort of scratchy and acerbic and yeah, yeah, yeah. intense. But yeah, for me at least, when I heard Elron, I mean, I'm a big Zeppelin kid, and it's very Zeppelin-y production. On that, there's yeah. a lot of guitars that just sound really, really big. And if you listen to them, they're actually not that distorted, frankly. But it's just this illusion of volume and space that's just. You uh, described it in the book as sounding wide, which yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't make sense until you hear it. But, right. I, but it totally yeah. Yes, the visible I agree. cow. Put on the visible cow. Put on Elron the front, the top. It's one of the best album openers there ever yeah. was. It and fills yeah. the space, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's very. I mean, it's just purely sonically to get nerdy for a second. It starts mm. really transistory, mm. and they. I can just see him plotting it out. They're so. It's 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 him and uh believe his i want to say is is now joe was the assistant at magic shop and i'm greg maybe anyway sardi had a right hand man and they Mm. were just nerdy geniuses with mic placement and they had they had so much fun using their close mics and knowing that they were just going to get to 
I remember just seeing him click off the mute buttons on these room mics they had and the whole thing would change. And so all I really wanted was like, and I openly said this, I was just make it sound like visible cow, mm. like mm. take mm. our songs and <laughs> do yeah, that. Make to it them, sound like basically. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't, I, and this is again, there's, there's no false modesty here. I think visible cow is a really perfect sonic document. Um, I think we got there in some tiny little moments on water and solutions, but anyway, we got mm. close enough for me. We got close enough yeah, for me. It sounds, yeah. I mean, even 20 years on, it sounds big. Well, the thing I really love about water and solutions is that I think it is, even re- well certainly you know records that sold way more than it but even records that i loved back then whether it was pearl dream or faith no more deftones or whatever mm-hmm. i don't think that those records have aged as well as water and solutions has sonically hmm. um i think 10 and versus are are Ten's not aged very well, and I yeah. say that Pearl Jam are one of my favorite bands yeah. of all time. Um, although the uh, the Brendan O'Brien re uh, redid yep, it. Yeah, that was a great that was a great idea. Really it was, it's it's hard to it's it's weird. It's it's hard to go. We're gonna get a little nerd about Pearl Jam here because <laughs> we both love them, so that's good. Um, Brendan O'Brien's re you know re envisioning, frankly, of Ten was amazing to hear and I found myself a little bit missing Rick Parashar's really well really? just in that it's just what I got used to yeah and there's a romance yeah. to 10 that uh, that um it's hard for me to separate with all from all the bad reverb and stuff it's, yeah, it's hard for yeah, me to figure yeah. it out but yeah so for me my favorite Pearl Jam records are um basically Vitology and No Code nice that's really to me and again sonically it's where they hit a, a slightly rounder place mm-hmm. There's a lot of records back then to me, we refer to it as the V, um, just and that's for the graphic equalizer, where there's like a lot of low end and no mid range and a mm. lot of high end. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of, to me, 90s and early 2000s records. Mm. Um, there wasn't a lot of mid range happening. That's Yeah, it was all about scooping out those mids, yep. wasn't it? It was all yeah, about scooping yeah, out the mids. Yeah. And so for me, um, Water and Solutions was our first mid rangey record. And I do think that's part of the reason that it's aged yeah. better sonically. And I mean, obviously, everyone else loves those other records more and i'm not even saying it's a better record but if i stand back from it i'm really really happy that it to me doesn't sound particularly dated i think it's aged brilliantly yeah and i'm really really i'm super super happy about that it's part of the reason i'm doing this tour yeah yeah it's because it's still it's the songs and the sounds still make sense to me yeah i agree i it's it's aged incredibly well and i think um well let's i mean uh, (laughs) it's no secret and you've sort of said a little bit about it already but it's no secret that far were quite a combustible yeah unit, i think yeah. it's fair to say yeah so how were relations when writing and recording uh in new york for six weeks i believe it was how were the relations in the band at that time were they separate were they different writing to recording or, or you know i again i i i think water and solutions i mean partly Partly things were just going really well, so it's always easier to be happy with each other when you're winning. Um, and totally. not in the sense that we were super big, but we were getting bigger. People were yep. finding out about us. We were doing it on our own terms. Yep. We were making, um, you know, we were in New York City in yeah. the springtime making this record with this producer that we all loved. And everything that was happening uh Sonically, the the mixes we were getting were just ridiculous, and mm. it was just sort of this thing of like, for me at least, it was it was I really felt like, oh wow, I'm really making something I'm super super proud of. There was nothing before then that at the time we were making it, I think we all 
felt truly happy with. Um, we like different things, and certainly in hindsight, I'm sure people have all sorts of feelings about, and I certainly, reflecting back on things, have thoughts about things I enjoy and things I don't. But at the time, there was just a lot of insecurity, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of angst. And Water and Solutions, I think, was a bit where Sean surrendered to me um, in the writing of the record, I definitely surrendered to him. We we found our place where he would write the monster riff, but he would give me a verse that I could sing over a bit more. It right. was less. Uh, yes. a, it was less a tonal in the verse, like Tin Cans, and and, pre, and previous to that was me essentially singing over essentially like a pedal tone that I would try and find, and it was almost a modal kind of making music. Maybe more you trying to find a place for your vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it was it was. I would just beg for that. And mm. and so he started to give me a bit more of that. And I started to, I think maybe having that, it's funny, I can't really, in the book and, and now, I, it's not trying to be diplomatic or anything. I just never feel comfortable talking about what anyone else was feeling. And part sure. of the deal with Far is that I'm a super processy guy and a super mm. chatty guy, and none of the other Far guys are. <laughs> yeah. It just, it was, a, so it was me... <laughs> talking forever and trying to figure out what was wrong or what mm. was happening and I just would never get any clear information so all I can say is that I didn't get a lot of information so I don't know what was happening mm. but I have the feeling that we were hitting a groove where we were working together really well and making stuff that we both really enjoyed mm. and so no it's it's the happiest I can remember us that's interesting um, the making of that record for me, I think is the happiest the band ever was. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It was really, we were all proud of what we were doing as individuals. We were proud of what we were doing as a collective. Sardi just helped so much in that the demos for Water and Solutions actually were, we did fight a lot about those and we, and we weren't, I don't think particularly happy about those. Okay. Um, and we'd already had an experience where we, I think felt like we were in a good place with going into tin cans and we made a record that, it didn't quite get what where any of us wanted it, wanted to, it to go sonically, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so uh, and then you know label was a little bit sketchy leading up to Water and Solutions. They didn't really we weren't sending them demos they really enjoyed. The demos that they did end up enjoying and Sardi ended up enjoying. What got Sardi on board was I sent him um, a, a. I didn't tell anyone. I just sent him a a little reel of my demos. I sent him Waiting for Sunday Made It Home. I sent him Tides, which is a song that didn't make the record, mm -hmm. but was a solo song of mine that he enjoyed. I sent him Mother Mary demo. Mm -hmm. um, and The lighter songs for the most the part. Lighter the lighter songs. The yeah. more tuneful numbers. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what he heard then or whatever, but that changed the arc of, of the label's interest and of, of his interest. Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably good in a way. And also... Well, I know that it kind of pissed off the band some because mm. the songs that were gleaning interest from these other people weren't what they were interested in. There's an interesting story picking up on that, actually, um, about Mother Mary, which right, right, right. now... Yeah. That's the... That's the yeah. Mother Mary is the... Uh, would, you, would you say it's fair to say that's the big song from this record? It's <laughs> certainly the song that made it the furthest away from who we were in yeah. our scene. Yeah. And so anyone that is... Yeah, it... It's, it yeah. It's just it's the one that it certainly made it never made it much of anywhere. But it's a song that. Um, long story short, yes, 
it's I would say there are other crowd favorites. I think I would say that Barry White in some ways mm-hmm. is the crowd favorite off mm-hmm. that record, and Mother Mary is the one that made it a bit more broadly out there. Mm-hmm, 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 I guess I would mm-hmm. say that, that about those. Those are the two tunes, basically. But it looked like, I don't know if this is too melodramatic, um, but it looked like for a while that maybe it wouldn't make the record or, or is oh, that? Oh no, it was, that was, it definitely was right. on its way to not making the record. Um, I, th- I think I have Sardi to thank for that. Right. Um, and the label is pushing for it too, but I can't, I just can't give them thanks because in fact their optimism was, was, not having the intended effect on the band mm, um mm, it mm. just to me i think it reinforced the band's perspective like oh this is a pop song mm. um because the label likes it mm-hmm. whereas sardi digging it i think they were able to sort of hear that a little more and go mm. okay mm. I, I, don't, I don't again i don't know this mm. is all me completely mm-hmm. i could be wrong about this mm-hmm. i've just never been able to have the conversation where i understood exactly what the other guys felt and i don't yeah. think we knew what we felt at the time yeah, yeah there was yeah, a lot yeah. going on but yes, truly, 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 Water and Solutions was the best it got because we made it through this demo period. We started to, Sardi really helped us see that our songs did in fact made sense if we were willing to let, you know, Brad might've showed us this too if we were willing to let him. Yeah. But Sardi yeah. made some cuts to the songs and made some rearrangements, which you'll hear again in the demos. Um, it's... Yeah, I mean, Water and Solutions was 10 minutes longer as a record before Sardi got to it. Yes, this is another interesting yeah. thing I wanted to talk about because yeah. um, he was quite a judicious editor mm-hmm. of your songs. There was a, another yeah. story in the book where... And you, I, I, Brad would have been too. Brad yeah. would have been too. I know he would have been. We just didn't let him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. didn't know. There's just, there's a real... I, I think producers are such a big deal and I love making records on my own, but especially if you're in a big studio and there's a lot of pressure on... A wise producer who really knows his way around a song is just even the but maybe especially, you know, the best bands in the world, all of them, as far as I can tell, will tell you that their producer saved their life mm. and saved them from going up their own asses. Mm. And and Sardi absolutely did that for us. Mm. So there's this story of you guys rehearsing, was it Barry White? Um, and it was sort of you really sort here. Of, oh, oh, sorry, really it here. Really yeah. No, no, no. Yes, uh, arguing yeah. over. He, he did that for Barry White too, by the way. Right. Okay. But yeah, no. Okay. Really here is the one I most specifically remember. I only know he did it because, again, when I found these demos in my closet, I heard the songs as they were pre-Sardi. Right. And I was like, oh wow, there's right. that part. I'd literally forgotten about all the stuff we were trying to do with these songs. But really here, especially, was one that we just could not work out and he made these drastic cuts i'm mean, really here's a two minute 30 second song or About something that, it, it goes start, by fast yeah and the original was around five five mm, i mean and and i swear to you that all of the time after the part that he where he just was like that's that's the end you guys mm. we didn't get it but mm. that may be really here in some ways i i went back and listened to you know, getting ready for this tour and stuff. I, re- I went back to the record and really listened to it and sort of, again, tried to figure out who this guy was that was singing this record and, and how I could do these songs justice out here. But really here to me is, is the high point, the secret high point of Water and Solutions. Oh, right. Yeah, I just, I just think there's an ease to that song. Um, and my vocal performance in particular and again, this is a total Sardi trick because he would have me sing a song a bunch of times and not really tell me whether he liked it or not. But mm. when 
at some mysterious point, he would just sort of go, okay, come in. Hmm. And I really wouldn't understand what was happening, but he would comp all the vocals together and comping for the non-music nerds is where you do a bunch of takes and then you pick the best parts from each take. Um, and so he made this really sweet pastiche of some pretty different vocal takes on really here. So he made a dynamic out of it. Um, and I sing so unbelievably delicately on that song way more delicately than I sing it now. Um, but it just, he, it just, that song, he just caught us in a really sweet time. And, um, it's it's uh it's one that yeah it's the closest to my heart i think on the record i mean mother mary on a very personal level um but really here i really remember writing it with johnny i remember all the fighting we did about it i remember how great it felt when sardi finally sorted it out because i knew there was a tune in there somewhere Mm. and just the way he recorded it and the way we played it it's just uh it's so sweet um and and it's neat there became this like odd sort of straight anthem because there's a line about being sober um, which I never intended that literally. I mean, it did happen to be literal at the time, but mm-hmm. it was more about just feeling like an alien. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear that um, the making of Water and Solutions was one of the best times in Far because I think there's a romantic. I don't know. Well, it was quickly followed by the worst times and yeah. the breaking up in Far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we took him back out on the road <laughs> yeah. um, and toured. I mean, any disagreement tour will find and magnify exponentially of course. until it's unbearable so getting, we had a slight a bunch of people in yeah. and putting them in a small van we had this but. little respite frankly i think when we got off the road after tin cans and we were so fucking tired yeah. and we had toured with all these bands who just, just nothing was making sense yeah we didn't even know we were if we we're going to make it to a second record we did make it to a second record not only did we make it but we made it in a really beautiful way recorded it in this, you know, in New York City, it just mm. in, in everything about the recording of that album was just fucking perfect. The engineering, where we were physically, who we were personally at the time, mm. we were resting more than we ever did. We took our time recording it. I mean, relatively speaking, we took two weeks to record it, um, and then another few weeks to mix it, basically. Um, so not a ton of time, but for us, it was a lot, and, yeah. and it just and and it just went so easily. The mm. performances came so easily. We were ready. And then, yeah, and then we got back out on tour and then we were the Misfits again. And mm. then we were, as it were, um, we were just, you know, no one liked us again. Um, mm. We didn't like each other again. Um, and it just, and so then, you know, then we, we broke up six months after the record was mm. released. So it was over real fast. So it was a short lived time, but it really, I think, and I think maybe that's who we were. It was. I think a lot about relationships and they kind of they wind their way into this sort of apex where whatever needs to be transmitted between the two entities having the relationship is transmitted and after the kind of the relationship's kind of done mm. and I'm a very never say never very romantic you very want to hold on to relationships thing so I I remain I mean I really wanted the guys on this tour I begged right. them to do this tour okay. I wrote them heartfelt long emails trying right. to get them to do this and was there just no interest or nah, okay. I mean Johnny was the only one who wrote back to me he wrote to me to say it would be too stressful man and I know right. he's right but I'm just I just keep I'm sure it's growing up in kind of a broken home I just keep trying to keep the family together even though mm. I, I'm you know kind of literally killing myself doing it um, and I can get really martyry sometimes and, um, and at the same time I was just to be clear like I was as incendiary if not the most incendiary of all the characters in Far Back Then it wasn't like 
uh, and it was in a different way, but I mean, I'll talk anyone to fucking death and like trying to explain like what I feel and why. Um, and I'm very, I'm very idealistic. I'm, mm. um, I'm just kind of all over the place and less so now. I think I'm mellowed with age mm. and with, I've done a lot of work, frankly, on myself and mm. I'm a less angsty kid. But at the time, I mean, you know, I had a, you know, Hannah would have been four years old basically in the middle of the water and solutions touring year so i had a you know an infant basically so of course you're missing her growing up as yeah, well when my, you're away which yeah is, must mean, be very difficult I my can't. marriage literally fell apart yeah. the day i returned from after recording water and solutions so so i was a total wreck um the guys None of them were anywhere near a baby much, you know, like they, they just didn't have any idea what I was going through. I didn't have an idea what I was going through. Mm. And again, we all we started out as, you know, Chris and Johnny were best buddies. They all they all knew each other from basically Sacto in high school and stuff. I was definitely already the odd man out. I was at least a few years older than any of them. I think I was a few years older than Sean and a full five or six years older than Chris and Johnny. Right. Um. So it was, and I was just an incredibly different human being than yeah. that. I mean, yeah. I was a coastal kid. I was, you know, this weird little hyper intellectual Jew, you know, <laughs> uh, and they, it, we were just such different people. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that really, really worked out for a little, a little second. And then yeah. when you get back into the pressure cooker of tour and again, no one really liking us and the label not being happy and no one's able to figure us out. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think people like me romanticize, like yeah, music journalists, I mean, sure. romanticize that kind of thing and go, oh, well, it was the, it was the pressure of that. You know, I mean, your, your buddies in Deftones. I don't think, I don't think it's wrong. Get that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's wrong. Yeah. And the Deftones were always <laughs> able to, they were always able to fucking brawl and then mm. come back to each other. And now part of that is because they didn't have an interloper come in. Right. Much less as the singer. Mm. I mean, Far was always, you know, the, Sean was essentially the founder of that band. Mm. Mm. And, but here comes this guy, this really big personality guy in a lot of ways, um, who just couldn't be further from him aesthetically, mm. um, mm. and personally in every, in, in every way. So the Deftones didn't have that. Mm. They were just family straight up. Now I consider Far family, but we were definitely an in-law kind of family or something like that, whatever the analogy would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, Deftones were always able to stick through it and fight and freak out. And uh, we, well, we just clearly didn't have that ability. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I bemoan it sometimes. I, I'm a little sad sometimes. Um, I kind of wonder what would have happened if we'd been able to take a breath after Water and Solutions kind of ended when that touring cycle basically ended. And, you know, and even turning down the tour, I kind of wish that, they could have forgiven me and we could you just tell us oh, the, the tour the, sorry that the, um, the incubus okay. system tour mm -hmm. yep that was the, so, so the, a big deal yeah i mean it, but it's really important to say it's it's hard to imagine now but at the time it really wasn't a big deal we were going to be going yeah, around and doing yeah, sorry, 500 right. to a thousand seat clubs yeah, we yeah, were yeah, not yeah, yeah. this was not a stadium tour i turned down yeah this yeah, was yeah, again yeah. it was it was pre morning view it was yes. pre anything for system yes yes it was no one was big incubus yeah. definitely was the headliner at yeah. that point but they were not massive like yeah, not sure. even close they had no radio hits they had no nothing um it was it was 
you know, maybe a tiny, tiny touch with a couple tunes, but no, but no, even isn't Pardon Me on Morning View too? Pardon Me's no, Pardon Me's on Make, make, yourself. make yourself. Okay, so that was you know they were getting somewhere, but they yeah. didn't have Drive. They didn't have Wish no, You Drive were was on Make Yourself. Sorry to correct oh, it you. Was. Drive was on Make Yourself. Yeah, was it huge yet? Um, I, I, I want, talking this makes me want to do the calendar know. because Drive is a fucking world beating like like yeah, it's a I huge mean, song. It's a huge song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all I can say is that wherever they were, they weren't. We weren't playing anywhere more than a thousand sure. seats. It, it, I know that, that to be good. That would make yeah. sense. Yeah. So that is that's actually really interesting for me to find out that drive was make yourself because yeah. I feel like they were Wow, that's really neat. That makes me wanna Okay, wait, I just wanna get something right. Was <laughs> Wish You Were Here a Morning View song? Yes. Okay. It's funny. In my head with Incubus, Drive was released after Wish You Were Here. Oh right. That's so interesting to me. No, I, this makes me want to really go back and figure out when did drive break during the make yourself cycle yeah probably i would have thought um i mean i mean it might have been a bit different for america than here as well oh, that's interesting too um because drive seems to me more of a song that would work in america more so than here oh was drive not big not a big deal here i wouldn't at say first? it's not a big deal but it j- <laughs> Oh, forgive me for saying Anyways, this, but there's a schmaltzy. We're gonna to do the yeah. Oh no 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 yeah. I, I'm not saying that I adore this song. I'm just yeah, saying that like yeah, yeah. I think to me I think this is true. Drive ultimately is is the song that would be most universally known, even if no one knew who Incubus was. God, is that true in the UK? I, That's a really uh, you know, interesting in the states question. or whatever. Yeah, in the states. And I'll bet yeah, yeah, even yeah. if you if you were to sort of add it up everything around the world. Mm, mm. Um. To me, Drive was the song that made them global. But again, why am I talking about this so much? I clearly don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. This is my weird imagination of Incubus's path. I could be, and clearly I'm totally wrong. Anyway, all I'm saying is that they weren't big then. That's That I can yeah, be sure yeah, of because yeah, 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 I knew yeah, the yeah. tour we were being offered. And, um, the ama- and the amount, and you had, I mean, you go into it in the book and we don't have to go into it now no, if you don't fine. want to. But you had well, that's awful... the, weird thing about, the weird thing about writing this book is that I've written all this down. Sure, sure. So like it I've, is out. There. I've done the arc. I mean, it, and well, it's not necessarily out because I just sold it to people who, you know, like you know, who really who, who did the Kickstarter, like <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you, it's you, not you out there to say, lot- but I, it's like for me, it, and that's what's great about writing. But I really crystallized at least my take on what happened. Yeah, you had yeah, a lot so anyway. of personal stuff going on. Yeah, basically. so, so all the that chronology, crazy. Forget about that. Mm. They weren't big yet, but the mm. point is, I turned down a tour. Mm. It was certainly a better fit than lots of other tours that we, yeah. were, we were trying to do. Yeah. Um, but for me, I was just... And I, with Water and Solutions, I thought we had made a record that was much closer to Pearl Jam or Radiohead or any number of yep. lighter emo bands, yep. Jets to Brazil, yep. whatever, than, than Make Yourself than anything uh, system was doing, than anything anyone was doing yeah. in that world at that time. So I was just desperate to, I just wanted to go and play to the people we'd found, or if they could get us a tour that was just a little more tuneful. Mm-hmm. Um, a little where, melodic. Yeah, a little bit more melodic. I just really, really wanted that, and I was really sick to death of going out and beating my head against the same yeah. kind of funk rock wall. Mm. It just wasn't, we were, we already were never that, but we really weren't that mm. after, after mm. that record. Mm. And I was just, I was, I was really, I was really sad. I was, you know, it was literally in the middle of a divorce. 
I was missing my kid. I, mm. It was, but I just, I do wish the little Powell universe thing I think about the most is I just wish I could have rested for like a year. I wish I could have gone and made a couple of this. They didn't like 14 to 41. They didn't like some of the songs I was writing and trying to give to them. Um, they didn't like them. I really wanted to sing them. I was sick of trying to be like a heavy rock singer. Um, I was just tired. I think we were all tired. But I really wish that I could have turned down that tour and I could have gone and made it like a little solo record or something like that. Yeah, and then, and then come, I would back have come back and made another yeah. far record in, you know, in, in 2000. And frankly, by the time 2000 rolled around, the music we were making on Water and Solutions was, I remember seeing um, fuck, Chevelle opening for Filter at the Warfield in San Francisco, mm-hmm. like a 2500 seat theater. And Chevelle was mathier in some ways than Far was, yep. really. And people were just eating it fucking up and I just thought man if we'd only been able to hang on a couple more years a year later Jimmy World released Bleed American which I think did a lot for yeah. that scene and uh, gosh, great record I mean, if if Far could have toured with Jimmy, with Jimmy at oh. that time yeah um, would have been I huge just, it just and we I mean we were in this you know we run in the same circles I want to say we might have even played with Jimmy I know we played we played with Played. I mean, we played with Jets. We played with Promise Ring. We played with a lot of people around. I can't remember. You know when I really finally met met Jimmy mm-hmm. Eat World. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I was in a. I was in their video. I think when I was still in Far. Oh. I was in the video for Luck of Denver Mint. Oh, are you? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It was really fun. I think you might be, might be arriving at that sometime soon. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows what? Um, anyway, whatever. Yeah. The, that is the parallel universe that I wish could have happened. I wish yeah. we could have just taken a year or two off and seen where we were. Yeah. But, you know. but then uh, 12 years later, you did try it again because there was a new record. There was That Night We Live uh, in 2010. Yeah. Uh, and there was a tour. This is when I saw you at Yulu. Yeah. Um, again, quite short lived. Yeah. Um, and again, we had a moment of respite making the record where we really enjoyed each other. Right, right. And we enjoyed each other, I think, so much that we got way too ambitious with what we tried to do. Okay. And, so the um, tour was too big or um no the tour was the shows we did were stuck in between sean and i sean probably had the better idea again he really wanted to do some more you know how like texas has done their kind of reunion stuff where they've yep. picked their spots yep. texas is the reason by the way for yep. those yeah um, not, not yeah there's red. another bank called texas yeah, 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 <laughs> texas yeah, is the exactly. reason yeah 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 um they uh i mean norm's obviously a dear friend of mine and i, I love all those dudes and I think they've just done such a brilliant job at like really making events of their shows. Yeah, and Sean was always more the event guy. He really wanted to build it up and do a show at a pretty big theater in L.A. or something like that. And really, um, and I just wanted to get out to the clubs. Right. I right. mean, I mean, I'm a you know, I'm still all these years later, you know, sitting in a kitchen of a really small venue that not mm-hmm. that many people will come mm-hmm. to singing songs and post far. And even during far, I guess during far is when I fell in love with it, frankly. But after that, outside of my weird stab at gratitude in the mid aughts, I, I just fell in love with doing things on a really small scale. Yeah. Um, and 
So, and I was really deep in that when far was coming back around and I just had my heart freshly broken from trying to do a bigger thing with gratitude. Oh, right. Okay. So I was really not into that anymore and really back into like, wait, things were going really well when I was just doing this on a small scale. Right. So all I wanted to do with far is play little shows and Sean didn't want that. And I did. And I think we kind of ended up at an uncomfortable combo of those two things. And we did some kind of spotty touring. We did a few shows with the used. We It was... So this, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was just weird time. We were trying to work it out, but the same old dynamics reared their head very, so very quickly. It up again. Yep. Okay. But the record recording was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a decent record as well. You know, sometimes it's you got don't... some moments. Sometimes yeah. you don't want um, bands to come back and sort of ruin your memories. Um, sure. And I certainly, you know, it's, honestly, it's not my favourite Far record, oh, but I don't not, think it did that. I don't think it's that. anyone's. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> really, I truly. I, I don't think it did that either. I you think, know? no, I think um, I think on that record, I'm a... I mean, I was... I think Water and Sunshine is one of the more complete records I've ever been a part of. Yeah. Um, but... Other than that, I just I'll take a few good moments on any record I've ever made. I, I've ever made it. Just that to me is um, that's it's all about finding at least a little moment. So I think at night we live the track. Yes, um, is a really beautiful and relatively familiarized track. Um, there's anyway a couple others without going into it, but it's there's some sonic great. Sean did some great stuff. I think it's some of again purely sonically. It's some of the best vocal recordings I've ever made mm-hmm. um, I was really comfortable with myself as a singer and he was really great with me and he was is an amazing engineer mm. so that yeah but it 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 just yeah it it didn't it just didn't get there yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so well I, I, I'm gonna finish up now because mm. I've taken so much of your time and thank you yeah, so much we, for being so well I, I thank you and I, we we went into this thinking we were gonna talk most about water and solutions we couldn't we couldn't help sprawl out which I'm, is usually my fault but i'm actually no, gonna fine. co i'm gonna co-author this sprawl fault. with yeah, you because yeah, we're yeah, both yeah, sprawlers yeah. clearly um, <laughs> but <laughs> it was it was fun and i would love to talk to you more about other stuff and i'll bet if we yeah. try to talk about other stuff we'll end up talking about water and solutions more Absolutely. it'll probably be one of those yeah, yeah, tricky yeah. things but yeah this was this but was the, la- the last the oh, last thing i want oh, to great. ask you is right. because you did mention that you um re-listened to water and solutions mm. uh before heading out on this tour a lot yeah so really weird listening back to your own work from 20 years previously how did you feel about it 20 years later had you listened had you re-listened to it in full i would definitely i would definitely definitely not be doing this tour if i hadn't listened back to the record and thought i still really love this record great cool yeah i absolutely uh i'm only here well yeah no i'm only here because i was so happy that I had made something 20 years ago that I still enjoyed. Yeah. It was really a great, great feeling for Mm -hmm. me that I was still proud of, that I still held up. Um, And it was just, uh, it was really sweet. And I, I, I have more, I'm sad the dudes are not here with me. I wish Sean and Chris and John were here. At least we, I wish we had done a few shows, but I guess things were just kind of too badly bent out of shape. And um, to do that, and I think that's probably true. I think I was probably would have been idealistic about it and we would have fought again or something. But um, it's been really nice singing the songs without the band in the sense that 
all that drama that we bring with us all these years of sort of untended to issues and arguments it's been really nice just to be with the songs with not only with just one other band but with it'll be i think five different bands over the course of this touring right okay um and it's been really cool to hear the songs played by different human beings yeah um really really different bands um and i as a singer um i think that i'm well i don't think i know that i'm singing with much more assuredness now um i'm just a much less uptight person mm. and water and solutions was the, really the beginning of that for me i really can't say enough that that was the record in which i finally i think got comfortable with being myself as a human being as a singer um, and as a performer um and so it's been really nice to go back to in, in a lot of ways the the beginning of the journey that i'm on that i've been on since yeah um yeah. i kind of found I mean, we're always changing, but I kind of found who I was on that. And it's been really wonderful to circle back around to that kid and and sort of say thank you for for finding his way out of all the insecurity and all of the fighting and just make some music and also say sort of him like, it's okay. Like, I know mm. things didn't work out like you might have thought they were going to work out, but they've actually worked out quite well in this whole other way yeah yeah so it's been a really it's and it, it i gotta say it feels especially poetic to be talking to you on the last night of all of this touring this year the last show yeah and as far as i'm concerned i will i may well never go out with a band again in a van oh right i'll probably play with different bands but it'll probably be more of a pickup thing of like meeting them in a town and bashing through a couple tunes or something me, I don't know who knows whatever I don't even want to talk about it but I unless something really really strange happens with the world um, as in you know all the guys call me up and say they do want to play together or something this will definitely be the last tour on which I focus exclusively on FARS music mm -hmm. on that time in my life um, I'll never disavow it I'll always be happy to sing these songs for fun out of context but um also something i found out during this tour was that and i think this is true even if far tried to reunite again to do this anniversary tour we did never make it over that bubble to where 20 years later there's a ton of people that are like pining for a far tour mm. there are a handful of people that there have been are, so yeah. fucking psyched at these shows yeah. i mean just the yeah. looks i've seen on some faces and i'm pretty well aware that those people will never enjoy a performance of mine beyond this as much as this some and, of them yeah yeah and, yeah. And, and that's like i have there's no i have no sadness about that i i've always whenever anyone has loved anything i've done i couldn't care less if mm. they like it more than something else i really mm. just the fact that they ever cared about any of it is wonderful mm. and i'm so happy that i've gotten to see some of these faces there's some people that never got to see us there are some people that only saw us on the at night we live thing mm -hmm. um there are some people that did see us back in the day but they were 14 fucking years old yeah, yeah. and now they're grown-ups with their own kids yeah. and it's been so unbelievably rewarding so i just want to kind of wrap up my end of this at least i mean i'm happy to talk about whatever but i want to remind by just saying how neat it feels that this is the ending of that mm. 
this is the ending of kind of the water and solutions area in my life, kind of the far area in my life. Um, I was very insecure about even doing this tour, especially without the guys and it feeling kind of opportunistic or something. And it's just been perfect for me. It's been little clubs. It's been super personal. There hasn't been the baggage of the band. Um, and I've gotten to revisit this album that just still means so much to me. I mean, yeah. God, okay, wait. There is, I want to just try and ramble for a second thematically <laughs> about Water and Solutions because this is something we completely missed. Lyrically speaking, what I've discovered is that um, I've really found a much more sort of so sociopolitical voice or something in my personal life since Water and Solutions. Yeah. Um, and, but going back to it, I mean, there's waiting for Sunday was written pretty much the dawn of Fox news becoming really popular. And it's about a guy who, you know, what we're talking about white domestic American terrorism. Now yeah. that's about that guy. Yeah. That's about it. That simmering rage. That's who these shooters are. Like that's who I was trying to write from the perspective of, um, man overboard was, was definitely written about sort of white supremacy and male supremacy. And, um, in, Barry White is literally called Barry White. Yeah. Um, and that's a pun on Barry White, but it's not <laughs> It's not a joke in the sense of... But I didn't even know, I think, that I was talking about whiny white privilege back then. Yeah. Um, really here, the second line in it is my small white world was closing down. I was. It was just me starting to notice this, this sort of white dude world I was living in. Mm. Um, mm. And I knew that. I was always thinking about that stuff. But listening back to Water and Solutions, I actually... It was really sweet to realize that I was already aware of that. Mm. And I mean, I'd written seasick on tin cans. I mean, there's, I've always been trying to write sociopolitically and about things on my mind, and it's, it hasn't been to be cool. But mm. Water and Solutions was, I think, again, my most sort of my earliest fully formed statement. And I hadn't even realized that until I went back to the songs. And it actually, frankly, has emboldened me a little bit to try and, uh, write a little bit more towards that now because I think those songs came out really well and they weren't too heavy handed mm. thematically or politically because mm. I think it's really easy to write a really shitty political song mm -hmm. with the best of intentions Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Modern Solutions I, I, I experienced those songs as super sociopolitical and very oddly current yep. to right now yeah. in our weird white nationalism sweeping the globe thing debatably uh, more so no that's what I'm saying they actually yeah. are more yeah, resonant yeah. for me yeah. now yeah. And so I just kind of wanted to insert that because we, we, we missed it. And I just, mm. that's been one of the more striking things about going back to the record in the place in the world that I am now mm. is, um, is how it taught me to think about these things in an artistic way and, and make songs that were worthwhile, that weren't too hit you over the heady. Mm. But but if you if you wanted to dig a little deeper, yeah, you'd, then, then you'd it's find, there. You'd yeah. find this stuff. Yeah. Um, the system. I mean, the system. I was going to say. No, I, I, no, are you is, not mentioning the system on purpose? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean that's I, that's one I really I always don't mention the most obvious thing <laughs> I should be mentioning. It's a really great tick of mine. Um, <laughs> the system is a lot of people hear that as of course it being like an anti-system song, but again, it's from the perspective of someone sitting on their fucking couch bitching or now they would be typing on Facebook um, about the system and not understanding their own culpability and their own complicity within the system. Yeah. Like that's that whole song is a bit of a sarcastic take on 
a lot of you know, it was a little bit frankly like fucking with myself a little bit you mm, know mm, um mm. but you know i was i was trying to register voters and you know i was, I was trying to be involved and it was to to a lot of kind of would-be punk rock kids who were just kind of like you know spending their parents money mm. and bitching about the man and not doing shit mm. and and yeah. it just basically being kind of a put on you know it's kind of about the worst of punk rock where it's all style and no substance yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah no the system is uh again it just applies so it like way more obviously now than it like i'd <laughs> i'd probably feel silly writing the system now because it would feel much more on the nose feel too obvious maybe. yeah that's what i'm saying but back then yeah. it wasn't it wasn't people yeah. well people didn't they took it as if i was actually being mad at the system <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah which i am i mean i am mad at the system yeah of course because it, it's a horrifying system but it was me realizing that i was if not an architect of that system certainly complicit with yeah. you know in it and i was just starting to put together how we'd arrived at this place i think it up until that point in my life i was really mad and i was talking a lot of shit but water and solutions is the first time in my life where i was able to kind of like look in the mirror Mm, um and and it was and it was great and and it's it's also was always intended as and it is even more an uplifting record to me now as um as sad as it sounds i guess i have kind of krang to thank for that then when they did a some kind of retrospective thing on it a while back probably around the time of at night we live i guess as i'm thinking of it um they pointed out something that i hadn't even thought of much which is that it's actually quite a hopeful record yeah um in a lot of ways and and i, I guess i think compared to what i did after i but i think that's where i found that voice again that's yeah, where i found yeah, yeah. like oh i get to be happy in this music too and i can definitely thank kevin seconds for that he really helped me with that um and but anyway i wanted to touch on those two things because we had sort of circled around it but that's been what's neat about looking back on the record it's yeah. taught me a lot about who I was then and kind of who I became. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's a beautiful way to end it. And and Sweet. I think it is lyrically still as uh, 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 means as much as it did then, if not more. And musically, it is aged brilliantly. Thanks. Um, I love the 90s personally, but sure. even I will admit that a lot of those 90s records sound not so great now. But yeah. War and Solution sounds fucking great. So if you've never heard it, check it out because it is and do phenomenal. read the lyric sheets i'll back the yeah. lyrics i don't yeah. think there's i don't think there's a lot of stinkers on there there's no, there's certainly no couplets that i just kind of like coughed out yeah. um <laughs> i can i can say that so i'll i'll i will stand by them i hope you <laughs> like that part of it too and to and to you person holding the other microphone hello thanks for giving a shit about it absolutely um, mate absolutely no worries most favorite things to do ever has been to have actual conversations about this stuff i've made um it's fun to yeah. just because I'm because it's and again it's 20 years later I can be the music nerd I am yeah, yeah and just go oh here's this record I'm not the guy making it I'm so far as it were removed <laughs> from it Ugh, didn't mean to do that but I'll take it I'll take a bad pun anyway thank you thank you Jonah yeah. it's been a pleasure and if you've thank listened you. this long you win too <laughs> thanks <laughs>